God, this morning it's really important that we, we center ourselves. We're not about to hear the words of a man. We're not about to listen to the concoctions of a missionary from Africa. A lot of the things that I would have to say are probably going to hit your ears, fall to the ground, and cause absolutely no impact on you. But if the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and puts it in the people of God, then we will have spontaneous combustion and we'll have life. We'll have the reality of Scripture bringing us to where we want to be, bringing down the reality of heaven onto the earth in us and through us, and that's what I'm praying happens. There's something very clear the Father doesn't want us to miss this morning, and that is His love. As, as, as Dave said, prepare for evangelism, but, you know, follow the Spirit. I said, that's, you, know, you know that if you want a topic, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing to say, follow the Spirit, because He, he often decides to go somewhere you're not prepared to go. It's not quite there this morning, but it's a different way to approach evangelism than I have ever been led by him before. Guys, I want to talk about evangelism in light of living a life worthy of the gospel. Living a life worthy of the gospel. What we could we could that's that's straight out of Paul, right? He says that Philippians 1:27, he's he's praying, he's teaching, he's traveling, he's exhorting, he's pastoring his people all across the world of his day as he could plant churches and get chased out of town and send other men and women back to raise that church up to maturity. His prayer was that they would grow up into a place where their lives adequately respond to the good news. That's what he was after. What did he want? He wanted to see maturity. He wanted to see sold out believers. He wanted to see the reality of heaven become so entrenched in their minds and their hearts that they were completely transformed. And he wasn't living a life different than what he was looking for in his people. Chapter 3 of Philippians, the Lord has had me in chapter 3 all month. I, everywhere I've preached, I've had the privilege in the last six weeks to preach in North Carolina, New York, and a couple places around here, and Jesus has just been hammering it into my heart. Am I everything to you? Am I of greater value than all else in your life? Has the value of everything else shrunken down so that the kingdom of heaven, according to Matthew 13 in the parable of the mustard seed, has it grown to be the greatest thing in your heart, not in your mouth, in your heart? Has the leaven of the good news, has the yeast of the reality of Jesus gotten into every fiber of your being? And by that, the Lord is graciously exposing pieces of the garden, pieces of the bread, which is my heart, which were not fully surrendered, which were not fully consumed. In other words, areas where my life is not adequately responding to the value of the Son of God. Okay, if you're here this morning and you don't know the gospel, I need to, 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 to just share it with you very, very concisely, but it doesn't really take a lot of time and tons of words to understand. This whole book is about an almighty God who created heaven and earth and every single person sitting here, and he created us for one reason, because he loved us and wanted us to be in relationship, period. He wanted you to know Him. He wanted you to walk with Him. He wanted you to enjoy an amazing world full of beauty and wonder and humor and glorious purpose. But for you to be able to love Him, and that's what He was after, you had to be free to choose. If you did not have a level of choice, you could not love Him. 
They do exactly what they're programmed to do. That's not how God made you because he made you in his image. He's not operating on algorithm. He is. He exists and he is love. And so he made beings, little representations of himself, that we would be like him. But to do it, he had to put two trees in that garden. He presented eternal life. He presented immortality to us. But right beside it, or at least as it seems to read in Scripture, right next to it was one tree that could corrupt it all, that could cause the greatest damage to that image, which would completely destroy it until God would intervene. And that was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The only thing you didn't need of God's image was understanding good and evil. That's what you didn't need. You needed to just say, you're a good daddy, I trust you. I'm just going to do what you say. And Adam and Eve, we know the long, long story, or maybe you don't. They ate from the wrong tree. They got deceived by the other will in the universe. They got deceived by the enemy. They got deceived by Satan himself masquerading as a snake and coming and telling them that the father wasn't good, that he wasn't trustworthy, that he was withholding something from them. That they really needed that tree that he said no about. Because if they could just get that tree, then they would have what God was hiding from them. Of course, the enemy knew exactly what would happen. This this God, he's perfect, he's holy, he's righteous. It means he never thinks wrong, he never does wrong, he cannot be tempted by it, and he never tempts a single soul. It is from down here in the alternate will, choosing according to my thoughts, my will, and my emotions, that that evil comes about. And Adam and Eve listened. They entertained the idea that he's not good and that he's not trustworthy. And that's what we call the fall. And everything from Genesis chapter 3 up until Matthew is the story of God beginning to point his people toward one man who would come down from God and be man but be fully God as well. That he would be born of a woman but not born of a man. That he would not have the sins of the father passing through his blood because that's what God said, that the sins of the father would carry down to the third and fourth generation. But he's born of God inside a woman, and so Jesus came perfect, holy, free from sin. Why is that important? Why do you have to come down into a body? Because the soul that sins must die. The soul that rebels against God must die. This is why Satan and all the angels that rebelled with him are going to go to hell forever. For them, there's no atonement. But for humanity, Satan, thinking he's grabbing all of these beautiful representations of God, these image, the crescendo of God's resounding story was going to be Jesus Christ. And so God sends Jesus, and according to the scriptures, there's so many places that this is clear, but I just want to speak a few of them. In John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it's probably the most known verse in the entire Bible. It says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Do you understand right now that you did nothing, absolutely nothing, to make God want to get you back? There was not one action, there was not one thought, there was not one heart motivation that so compelled him that he was like, oh my goodness, what have I, why am I punishing them? Why did I, why did I come down on rebellion in this way? I must come and make a way. No, it was his self-motivated love, which should really encourage you, believer, because somehow we come in by grace and think we stay in by works. Doesn't it happen to you? Don't you miss your quiet time and start feeling guilty? 
Don't you miss an opportunity to share the gospel and start whacking yourself and the enemy comes with accusation and you're like, yeah, I am pretty terrible. But you didn't come in by works, so why would you continue by them? No, fall back on the grace of God right now. And so he comes by his self-motivated love. Jesus was not forced by the Father. He wasn't kicked out of heaven. Go get voice to do your will. And I am dead set until I get to that cross. There is only one purpose for me. I must get them back. I will pay the penalty. So he came in flesh because your flesh has to die for its sin. Unless somebody dies for the sin that you have committed, you will be judged eternally. In our day and time, it's even public in the media now that uh, our, our vice president being scorned and mocked for his faith in the Lord Jesus. But it's very clear, church, and, and anybody who doesn't belong to Jesus, your stance on eternity does not affect the reality at all. What you believe has no bearing on reality. You cannot stop reality. God has said, I will judge all men. I will judge all men. And I will, He will cause your deeds to stand before Him. And you and I, it's going to be beautiful. If you've truly accepted His free gift of love, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting ahead. we got to get the whole gospel. So somebody had to die. Somebody has to die. That sin cannot just be forgotten without a payment. If you bow down to a king, you surrender to his authority. When, we, when they ate from that tree, and we in every generation since them have eaten from that same tree, when we have chosen the same rebellion, we've said, have us, Satan. According to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, you, before you believed in Jesus, so if that's you right now or if it's you in the past, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you once walked. You were following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. If you are not right with God today, you are walking under the authority of a king and a spirit. If you're right with God today, you are walking under the authority of the king and the spirit. Human beings operate with a king and a spirit one way or another whichever you choose because he put his will and the ability to choose inside of you and so he sends Jesus down because you chose the wrong king because the world is awful with sin because the world is wrecked in all forms even the physical reality of the planet is destroyed by sin and it's groaning for the day when the freedom of the sons of God will be realized on the earth and sin will be completely removed but but God in his great mercy didn't just bring that reconciliation to a head immediately because he wanted a time span to be there somewhere around 2,000 years so that all humanity could hear so that every man, woman, and child born on the earth after Jesus would have an opportunity to hear that gospel. Jesus came to die your death for sin so that you will not have to face judgment. But if you want to face judgment, if you refuse the gift of Jesus Christ, then you will stand before God for your own wrong. And you cannot weigh your good against your bad. The bad goes on one side, the good goes on another. But if there's one bad thing left, you're done. He's holy. Absolutely perfect. He cannot let you into his presence with one of them. Not one. 
And so he sent the Son, and gloriously, in Colossians chapter 2, it clearly teaches us that if we will receive the free gift of God, that's from Romans chapter 5, that at the right time, at the exact right moment, when humanity was as wicked as it could have been, when it was as terrible as it could have been, when there wasn't one human being that inspired the heart of God to love us, he sent his Son. And he sent his Son to save all mankind who are equally lost, who are equally astray from their father, and he's saying, I know how bad you are, and I say, come home. But if you're coming home, you're coming home on my terms. You're coming home in my way, and you're going to follow me. In America today, we have created a gospel where we don't have the second part. We just receive the grace, and then we go on living by our own will. It's not possible, church. Your will has to die. Give him full authority of this life. We have to, because our will is what got us in the mess in the first place. And so God sends his son, and every single person who believes in him and calls on him for salvation, every person who says, I hear that story, I believe in that God, and I believe in his son, I call out to you, Jesus, son of God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. I'm cut to the heart. I know that I've done wrong against you. And I'm turning from it today, Father. Father, can I have relationship with you? If that's true, I want it. Bring me back, Father. Oh, and he says he will not delay long over you. If that's your heart. Now, Christians, you need to rehear that message because some of you have moved on from the message. You've moved on from the love of God as though you've become so mature you don't need that foundation anymore. But when you, when you leave that foundation behind, you become extremely legalistic. You become extremely wooden. You become full of facts. You Really, you become a Pharisee. Your minds are swelled up and your heart is as tiny. It's like the Grinch problem. A brain's full and your heart's three sizes too small. Because if I understand the lavish love of God, if I, if I can understand how God loved me, and that's where we're going to dive in this morning, if I can understand that, I will not struggle to love people. Because I'm pretty sure I'm worse than you. Or at least I was. I'm pretty sure that Paul gives me an example of a man who understood how wicked he was and understood how saved he was as well, who understood how great the power of the gospel was and was completely transformed by that grace of God. I want us to remember, church, in this is love, 1 John 4.10, not that we love God. We did not love God. Get it in your head. You did not love God when he died for you. You didn't. And you're like, yeah, I wasn't born yet. Even if you'd been born, you wouldn't have been loving God. No one on the earth, the day Jesus died, loved him faithfully. They couldn't. They didn't have the spirit yet. They didn't even know what that meant. They didn't, the, the word couldn't come alive. It was still, here's what's right. I don't have the power to do it. Here's what's right. I don't have the power to do it. Until Jesus died, was buried, spent three days in the heart of the earth and came out in victory, there was no hope of resurrection and actually following the word for you. But praise God, he did it. He did it. 
He did spend three days in the heart of the earth like Jonah did in the belly of the fish, the whale. It's awesome. He actually came back from the dead. God actually shook the ground and rolled that stone away like a pebble. He actually exploded those seals of the Roman governor. He actually terrified those soldiers. It's awesome. Our God was like, those guys need to be there. Because, you know, the Romans have absolutely no reason to say that this actually happened. Guys, do you understand that there is, we've talked about this last time I was here, there is a war on your faith in Scripture because Satan knows if you believe the Bible, you will become unstoppable. The Spirit of God will so confirm this word in your life that you will know the King of Heaven exactly as He revealed Himself and you'll be rooted and grounded in the living and active Word and you'll go through all the garbage in our country and in our world this day and age and you'll go, oh my goodness, it doesn't stop me. I'm still good because I know him. And I, I came to know him experientially, and he's just like this Bible. I came to know his spirit experientially, and it's just like it says it is. I came to know the Father experientially, and his love is as lavish, as huge, as amazing, and as gracious as I thought it should be, according to the word. So this week, the Lord has just been kind of hitting me with wave how far he's brought me in the years since I first believed. Church, do you remember? I mean, think back right now. Where were you when you gave your life to Jesus? When you received that free gift of his grace? I mean, do you remember it from Romans 5? You're like, oh, you loved me while I, had, while I was yet a sinner. So like I'm still a sinner and you love me right now and you want me to repent and turn from my sins so that I will no longer be a sinner, but I will be a saint. That I can move from sin consciousness to son consciousness, daughter consciousness. That I can move out of a life of condemnation and shame and move into a life, a life of free relationship where there's nothing inhibiting me and the Father in relationship. Because according to Colossians, all of that massive weight of wrongs that I've done was actually removed. It, it wasn't just covered over, church. He didn't just put it in his pocket. That's not what the scriptures say. When Jesus became the propitiation for our sins, that's just a big Christian word. A lot of times we read it, we're like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what that means? I'm kinda, I kind of got an idea. It's got something about pits, you know. No. It means that the full wrath of God, every ounce of anger and punishment for sin came upon the Son of God on that cross. That Jesus, and this is a picture the Lord gave me a few months ago, Jesus actually bore the weight of all mankind. I just want you to think about that. How many of you have felt or feel today, my sin, my weakness, my brokenness are so great, I can hardly imagine that God has enough power to fix me? How many people? How many people? Come on, come on, don't give me a 50%er. This is a 50%er, this is a 20%er. You got pews, so I can't see the 20%. How many of you have believed the lie that your sin, your brokenness, and your shame are too great? I want you to picture the Son of God set up on that cross, suffocating, hanging from his own bones with those incredible pains of tendons and, and the weight of his body. But more than a body, Jesus had the weight of roughly 14 billion people's lives upon him. 14 billion. I get uncomfortable around about 1,000 people. I've, I've, I've lived in very low-density areas my whole life. So, like, you get me in a place with 20,000, I'm like, wow, that's a lot of people. 
15, 14 billion people, guys. You're saying, where do you get that number? We have about 7.2 billion alive right now. I'm saying, if all of humanity before is even remotely close to what we have now, 14 billion people. Now, God's son was able to take the weight of that full 14 billion people's worth of sin. Obviously, varying degrees and amounts and rebellions and all that. Not taking that away. But he took all of that on the cross and died one death so that all sin could be removed. In the same way that one sin brought sin to all men, Romans 4, that this new Adam, Jesus Christ, would make righteousness available and possible for all men. One death, one man on one cross, Jesus Christ. How dare you and how foolish of you and me to consider that my sin, my brokenness, and my weight are too much. I mean, come on, let's do math now. One fourteen billionth. Not only that, the same spirit that raised him from the dead. The Spirit. Jesus humbled himself before the Father, even to the point of death. He could have stopped it at any moment. He could have called the angels down and slain every sinner who'd rebelled against him. He has the same holiness, the same righteousness, and the same justice in him. But to satisfy the justice of the Godhead, he decided, I will take the justice on me, trusting that you, my Father, will raise me up. In the same way that these, all of my children, need you to raise them up, I will trust you. That's not a good way to die, folks. That's not an easy way to die. You think euthanasia is bad? I don't think euthanasia is anything compared to what happened to Jesus. Electric chair? I, I obviously never walked through that myself. I imagine it's pretty painful. But according to a lot of physicians, one of the worst possible ways to die, intentionally cruel, intentionally painful, and then you add 14 billion people's sin. What made Jesus stay on that cross? His love for the world? His love for us. To be honest with you, God didn't need the planet back. I mean, he's, he made the whole world. He's like, <laughs> he doesn't need the rocks. He doesn't need the inner core. It's not, oh, I better recycle that. I don't know where I'm going to get another one. <laughs> no, no. But God's heart was moved because he could not get another you. He would have to. He made you eternal. You're going to exist for eternity, whether you think you are or not. And you will stand before him and either depart into light, eternal, eternal glory in his presence, seemingly on a renewed earth, being a farmer, which I'm okay with, and, or you're going to depart into eternal darkness, fire and punishment, which was only made for the devil. That's why it's there. It's only for him. You were never intended to be there. And right now, if you're going to decide, I'm not following Christ, I refuse to submit to him, I will not accept his gift, I will not follow his ways, I will not become a disciple, I will not be his church, then you will go to hell over Jesus' dead body. And he will actually be the one to judge you on that great day. He will sit on the throne, and he will give you exactly what he took from the Father. 
That justice that was satisfied, he will mete it out in exact measure unto every person who denies the free gift. Now, isn't it asinine? Isn't it insanity to be offered free? I mean, our world, nothing's free. If they say it's free, there's a bunch of taglines, right? There's a, there's a bunch of hooks, and as soon as you go for it, you, you, somehow you owe like $30,000, right? As soon as you say it's free. But this is not the case with Jesus. He's very forthright. He tells you openly you must receive my gift. But I want you to understand, church and every person who doesn't believe in here this morning, if you're going to receive the free gift, you hand over rights. If you're going to receive his life, you exchange it for yours. And if you're going to exchange it for yours, that leads us into evangelism. Because the only reason, church, we're not sharing the gospel is because we are so focused on ourselves. The only reason is we are either afraid or we are so consumed it doesn't even cross our minds. Which, I, honestly, church, how can you be his disciple and it's not crossing your mind? It's impossible. The mandate stands. He hasn't come and given us a new mandate. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. How many of you can say honestly, I have been taught to obey, therefore I'm making disciples, therefore I'm sharing the gospel, therefore I'm loving my neighbor as I love myself, and I'm seeking to love my Father in heaven with every ounce of my being. Churchianity says get saved and sit down in the pew, make sure you get baptized and tithe for the rest of your life, have pretty close to 100% attendance, and heaven is going to welcome you. Boy! You only miss 22 Sundays in your whole life. Welcome in. Sorry, could you help me? Because I couldn't find it. I love the church, and I love this kind of church. I love having a building. I love having screens. I really love having guitars and drums. But I'm telling you, we're saying we have to get back to Scripture. We have to reroute this thing, because if we can't fix this and turn it into that, then we have a serious problem because the world is sick of the way we do Christianity. They are sick of the manner in which we live. We are one set of people here, and this is what we got to get, church. We are chameleon cowards. Most of us are very bold about Jesus right here. We're very bold about Jesus when we're among believers, and then you put us with one unbeliever who's a little bit belligerent, and we are terrified. Shaken in our boots, unsure of everything we believe, confused, and ready to run. Paul said that he wanted to declare the gospel boldly. Pray for me also, Ephesians 6. Pray for me also that I might declare it boldly. I only desire that now as always Christ may be glorified in my body. Are you really after the glory of God? Are you adequately responding? Has Jesus been so exalted in your heart that you're saying, I got to give him more, I got to give him more, I got to give him more. I have not reached the level where I'm satisfied with what I'm giving back to my God. He's worthy of so much more of my life. Now here's what happens. I have the privilege of, of, of preaching like this every, every so often or every Sunday, and that's good. And it's a privilege. I get to watch Jesus light fires and you guys. It's so much fun. And then get to pray with you on Fridays or somewhere else and see him continue it. And that really helps me. But here, here's where my heart's aching. 
My heart is aching because we in the church in America love a good word and we love to do nothing with it. I'm not angry with you. My heart's breaking for you. Don't just hear today. Don't just hear. James called that man foolish and blind. Church, are you so convinced of God's love for you? When Paul was praying for the Philippians, he says in verse 8, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all. Chapter 1. With all the affection of Christ Jesus, and this, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent, so that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through, through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul starts his letters, I just love it, he, he has glorious theology, then he starts praying, and then he hammers the truth. Did you notice that? He'll just say, church, this is what's true about you, and I'm praying that it'll become true, and here's how you need to change. Right? Uh, some might say that that's like the anesthetic before surgery. You know, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Oh! Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Everything God is doing in your life, every challenge, every way that the world is hammering you, he is graciously, lovingly conforming you to the image of Jesus. And here's the thing. You can conform begrudgingly and get in drug over time, or you can press in and change faster and change stronger and change more completely. What I'm finding is people esteem change as long as it can happen in an instant without any pain. Talk to people a week later, two weeks later, a month later, and they go, man, I feel like the fire's kind of dying down. I said, where'd you start disobeying? Uh, 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 oh, yeah, that was about three weeks ago. I, right? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed. We have this amazing reality, guys. Jesus didn't just take sin off of you. you got to understand this. When he remade you, he removed sin as far as the east is from the west. It is permanently stricken. It's taken out of the equation. He has, he has graciously imputed his right standing with God into you. You are right with God. And since you're right with God, the spirit of God. Has that gotten a hold of you? No, can't be. Some people aren't smiling. You don't. I, God, God is willing to live inside of you. Okay, the same one who took care of 14 billion people's sin is willing to live in you. The same power that raised the one who carried the 14 billion people's sin from the dead is in you. And it says in Romans chapter 8 that he will give life to your mortal body. Do you believe that? Really? All right, then what's it affecting? What's it changing in your day-to-day -day existence? The war on your soul is so real. Here in our country, guys, I see it everywhere I go. I hear it in Christians', Christians mouths. I love you so much. I love you too much to just let the same patterns that kind of dictate life happen without saying anything. And let me tell you, I love sports. I've always loved them. But it's one of the means that the enemy is trying to corrupt. That's why I like upward, because it's a means of getting a sport back from the devil and using it in a manner that is worshipful and glorifies God. But let me say this. 
If you have to have your television on, you have to. I mean, March Madness is coming up. And do you guys notice, if you just step back for a second, the Super Bowl happened, the Olympics began, March Madness is right after, we'll be into baseball, and you never stop. And they have set it up. The World Cup's coming this summer. You will never have to stop your entertainment stream. You can feed your soul forever. And then you add in the internet, Facebook, news, and everything else, and you literally can consume your entire existence with nothing. I don't want that for you because this kind of love is available. But do we understand that this is the same God who said, you shall have no other gods besides me. You shall have no other gods. It, as the closer I get to Jesus, the more he kicks other stuff out of my life. The closer I get to Jesus, the more he says, I don't like that. I love you so much. That's got to go or get refined. Usually it's got to go, and then I get it back later. But some things, he just kicks him out forever. No more. For me, that's, that's watching sports and following sports. That was a God for me. But I'm joyful today. I'm not saying, oh, guys, God took sports from me. <laughs> you know, you should follow him. It's really good, but, uh, you know, he might do that to you too. Just letting you know. I want to be honest. No, guys, guys, sports is it's shrunk down. It is so meaningless. Satan will come sometimes now and, and kind of, you know, play that little chip of, hey, don't you want to find out what's going on in the world of soccer? Don't you want to know what's going on with the NFL? And God has become so much better, so much bigger. I'm like, get out of here! In Jesus' name, I love my Father. Not only do I not want you back, take it more, take it more, God. What else is in the way? But until God's love has become so great, until he has become the greatest thing in your existence, you will never respond to him like that. You will continue to hold on to all of your false gods and you will not mature and you will not become strong and the abundant life that is so clear in the scriptures will never be yours until you give up all the other stuff you're holding on to. But if you will graciously give it up, if you will take a step of faith and say, Jesus, I want you to be better. I want your love to be the greatest thing in my existence. I want to live as an adequate response to you. That spirit which raised him from the dead will give you power. He'll give you the strength you need to go from thinking right to thinking and doing right. Amen? What good are notes, huh? What good are notes? No, I studied. I studied. I said I, I preached way too long last time. I got to give these guys a, a preached sermon, a, a planned sermon, and then Holy Spirit. Five, or 2 Corinthians 5 real quick. All right, we're, we're going to hit this really fast, and then we're going to stop. From now on, therefore, verse 16, 2 Corinthians 5. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to us. Entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. 
We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Very familiar passage. If you've been in the church a while, you've probably heard it many, many, many times. That's dangerous. That's dangerous because that right there should have made you an evangelism tornado. Should have made me and you an explosion of love. Because if I can grapple with the love of God and get it down inside my heart, it cannot help but come out. It cannot help but come out. You see, here's what I think the Lord is saying this morning, church. You're deficient in giving love because you're deficient in receiving it. Some of you received love when you accepted Christ, and you haven't received it again since. You've been walking in legalism. You've been walking in your own righteousness. And Paul, who was brilliant at walking in his own righteousness before, actually Saul, said, I count that as nothing. See, when he explains this this sold-out adequate response in Philippians chapter 3, he says, everything that I had, I count it as dung. Dung. None of us cherishes dung compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing him. Of knowing him. So i got to ask church, How's your evangelism is the same question as how's your understanding of God's love? Evangelism is the overflow of God's love. If if you are not sharing, when I am not sharing, I am not grabbed, gripped, consumed by the love of God. It says his love compels us. It compels us. It controls us. It's become so pervasive, so powerful, so much more that we, we shirk off the fear. We shirk off the result and we just obey our Father because we love Him so much and we start to actually have His heart for the people in front of us and we're going, I just cannot live with myself if I don't know if you've heard about Jesus. And I would preach Him this morning potentially offending you because I don't want you going to judgment without knowing the truth. Have you been gripped by the love of God? And if you have, It probably needs to happen again and more and deeper and deeper and deeper. That's where I'm at right now. I'm saying, Jesus, Jesus, I need so much more of understanding. You know how Paul prayed. Give them the spirit of wisdom and understanding, Lord, and the revelation of Jesus Christ. Give them understanding. Reveal it more. Father, take me deeper that the world becomes more and more and more dim, that I'm a friend of the world less and less and less, and a friend of God more and more and more, because I want to stop living as his enemy. In Romans 8, it says that everybody who's walking in the flesh is at enmity, is an enemy of God. Way too many of us are born again, filled with the Spirit, and still walking in disobedience needlessly. Don't don't feel guilty unless you're going to repent. My only desire is to lift the love of God up to you this morning and encourage you to renew your commitment to surrender to that love, to renew your commitment to refuse to let another soul who's equally as valuable as you go to hell without hearing the gospel. Guys, do you realize that thousand years later, we've gone a long way, but it's not done. And if you want them to come back, then you better get busy with getting the gospel to them what I'm going to be doing. It's where we're going. Africa needs to understand building church buildings so we could sit down for the rest of our existence was not the purpose of Christianity. And we need to get it clear in our hearts. I'm not saying you think that way, 
But church, if you leave this building and start to live differently than when you're here, it's happening to you. That's the chameleon cowardice. It's this two-faced thing, and God hates it. He hates the two-faced. No more church faces. No more different outfits just so we can appear pleasant. Don't spend 20 more minutes prettying up so that nobody thinks anything's wrong. What if we focused? What if we focused on actually being with Jesus? What if we focused on actually receiving his love and giving it? What if you focused on being a conduit of that love instead of a nice big jug? Some of you are like, God, fill me up. And he's like, as soon as you start giving some away, I'll give you more. Guys, I've seen Jesus do really cool stuff just in the last few weeks. A couple, uh, a week and a half ago, a week ago, a man with stage four cancer. Go home, you're going to die. The Holy Spirit fell on him. He felt warmth run through his whole body. He had a a severe cramp where the tumor was. We prayed for him, and his whole body was filled with peace. I said, get an appointment, man. (laughs) Get an oncology appointment right now. And he's like, lady at Arby's down in Greenville. How are you doing, ma'am? I'm doing great. Ah, well, my shoulder hurts pretty bad. Can I pray for you? Yeah. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name for healing her rotator cuff, and the Spirit started speaking about what was wrong. And so we prayed over that, and she went, oh! You know, little old lady, she just, she's like, it feels better. I'm like, I'm, that's not that shocking. <laughs> But you know, those couple of events, there's more, but those couple of events happened, and there had been kind of a lull. And I said, Father, why why am I not seeing you heal anybody right now? And he answered in a split second. He just said, because you stopped praying. Oh, ah, I did. I didn't even realize it. So there's two, two ways I want us to respond this morning. One, I'm not saying you don't have any fire for the Lord. I'm not saying you don't know his love at all. I'm asking, do you consider your life an adequate response? That's what the Lord is speaking to me. Is your life an adequate response? If we were to use volume, because like, let's use something measurable, right? Measuring things helps us. Is your life a response to Jesus? So you say, Jesus Christ, I understand your love, God. I understand how you, how you died for me, sent your son, paid for my sins, put your spirit in me, gave me the word of God, protected it through incredible trials to make sure it came to me. And my life is a... What is it? What level? Are you shouting from the rooftops? I mean, just, let's just use volume just as a practical, right? Are you saying, yes, world, Jesus died for me. I'm going to live for the gospel. I'm going to live for my king because he's real. He's here and he loves you. And I refuse to let you die. Or is he going to keep being just like this? Tell you what, in some ways I feel like we think this is normal. How are you, brother? I love God. I love him. Come on, church. I need to try to be a different personality type. That's not what we're talking about. 
all the different personality types, all the different gifts and weaknesses are called to evangelism. Evangelism is good newsism. Euangelion, it's the Greek word for the gospel. Come on, church, you're just sharing the good news. Stop making it scary. Stop making it a big deal. Oh, oh Lord, I prayed for four hours last night, and I got a special impartation. Now, better watch out, world. I mean, the, there's times for that. I'll be honest with you. You know, when I'm going to a Masoe meeting, when I'm going to stand toe-to-toe with witch doctors, oh, we spend time in prayer and fasting. We get, we get armored up, and we get jazzed up, and we're ready, and you need to. But there's also the reality that every single day the love of God is the same. That it never goes up and down, that it never changes. And I entered into that love in Jesus. And I was not given a small portion of that love. The only thing holding you back and holding me back is understanding it and submitting to it. So I want to read Paul's words to close us out. I want to read his words about his own life to the Philippians. Okay, this is, this is just where God just, just keeps taking me back over and over. Verse 7 of Philippians 3. This will be where we finish, I think. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Chapter 3, verse 7. For this Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, dung, poo, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. I think that is an example of a man screaming, At the top of his lungs, Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worthy. I want my life to be a response. How many of you read Paul and you get real excited? Like you like that he was just a man filled with the Holy Spirit following Jesus. I love that. I absolutely love it. How many of you also say, but he was an apostle? (laughs) Come on. How many of you say, but he was only anointed for a special purpose? Come on. In here. Not in here. In here. At a heart level, I'm not talking about what you know is right. I'm talking about what you live, because that's revealing what's in here. I want my life to be a scream, Jesus, you're worthy. I want my life to be a resounding song on this earth. He's alive, he's well, and he is worth it. Come on, church. Come on, church. Come on, church. The darkness needs you to shine. We need the basket off your head. We need all the baskets off our heads. We need the love of God to rise up yet again in our hearts, to become preeminent. We need it in your finances because there's missionaries coming off the field like crazy because they can't stay funded because churches are closing by the thousands every month in America. We are losing ground, and we don't even realize it. Like the frog getting boiled. We are sitting around, and I love that White Hill's not one of those churches. You're awake, and I'm saying, let's wake up more. How much of the kingdom of God can we know? How much of this love of God can we really know in this life? Now, I don't want to short circuit. If anybody hasn't accepted Jesus, it's true 
you will live on forever with him in heaven until he establishes the kingdom and then upon the earth with him. But I did not, I intentionally did not go there first because that's where we always end up in our gospel presentations in America. And I want you to serve God to know him now, not to get to heaven someday. Because if you don't know him now, you aren't going to get to heaven someday. Trusted you with this ministry. He gave reconciliation to us. He could have turned the whole world. He, do you realize right now, Jesus could manifest to every people group that's unreached. He could send a dream, send an angel, go himself to every one of them and say, I am Isa al-Masik. He's doing that all over the Muslim world. People who've never seen the Bible are coming to Jesus like crazy because Jesus just decided, I'm breaking Islam now. And there are Christians seeing more fruit. I have friends in North Africa who are seeing more fruit for the gospel, a hundred times more fruit than the last 10 years, right now. But he entrusted that ministry to us, which means two things. One, you're responsible for it. And two, he actually thinks you can do it. He knows you can do it. He knows what's going to happen when his spirit takes up residence, when his spirit takes over your life and you surrender to him. I tell you what, man, is it fun. Does it mean you're never going to struggle with fear again? Nope. Does it mean the enemy's just going to roll over and play dead? He ain't no possum. He's a lion. They don't play dead. They fight. They fight. Church, are you ready? Is the love of God adequate for you to endure everything? The last two months for our family, I feel like... Uh, not really a Job experience, but for whatever reason, I don't know if it's witchcraft in Africa or, or just the enemy here, but we have been hammered, hammered, boom, boom, one thing after another, all the kids sick, fevers out of nowhere, it's not just sickness, all sorts of things, weird attacks, all kinds of stuff, and at the exact same time as all of these opportunities to preach the gospel, and I've watched Jesus light fires everywhere in the last month, boom, boom. Boom, Holy Spirit provoking his people and saying, I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. Rise up to the level of my truth and be filled with life. Be filled with my spirit. Live for me, church. Live for me. I believe in you. That's why I left you down here. If I just wanted to save you, I would have taken you right to heaven with me immediately. But I left you here because I want you to affect all the people around you. Now that, I can sound like a resounding gong on that one because until I start hearing stories that you are turning Augusta County upside down, I'm going to say the same thing again and again and again and again. And it's happening, but what about all of you? What about all of you? I'm all for being a peacemaker. Absolutely. Jesus said he didn't come to bring peace. That when truth comes, there will be good, there will be salvation. There will be the revelation of the Son of God. And then there will be people killed. So don't, don't think once the, once the Spirit falls on our whole county and everything's hunky-dory, then we know that a revival's going on. No, right here in our hearts as we submit to the love of God and surrender to Him and start living in obedience to His command to share that love, revival is among us. And if you want the feelings that go along with it, start obeying. They'll come, but you don't do it for those. All right. God entrusted this message to you. He's sure you'll be faithful. He's sure you can handle it by his spirit, and he's sure that you're going to respond adequately. 
Because he's with you, he's in you, and he's for you. I want to encourage us, guys. Romans 3 tells us that you have to respond to the gift. The gift has been given. The gift will never be revoked. Jesus is there as the Savior for all who will believe. And if you're here this morning and you have not given your life to Jesus and received his free gift, that is available to you. At any moment, you, need to, you, you must reckon with him before your days are done. And for those of us who believe, you never mature beyond the cross. You never mature beyond your salvation. Remember where you come from. Don't remember who you were. Remember how much love brought you to the Lord. There should not be a sin that the church of Jesus Christ cannot overlove. That doesn't mean a lot of the crazy things that are happening in the name of Jesus in our country today. It means we love people and we never agree with darkness. Never. Never. So, Father, I pray for your church this morning. I pray that your words will take root in us. Lord, we want to be transformed by your love. We want to live as an adequate response. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will move by the power of the Spirit in every stagnant believer, in every discouraged believer. In Jesus' name, I ask for encouragement. I ask for your love to rise up again, for the guilt to be removed. In Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord, that you cleanse us right now from a guilty conscience, that every Christian who has truly called on the Lord Jesus Christ by faith will know they are freed from sin that they are not debtors to sin, but they're slaves of righteousness. Lord, that they have been given everything they need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that, Lord, in taking up residence inside of us, you declared us holy. You declared us righteous. Lord, get that inside of us, Lord, that we are holy and blameless unto the day of salvation. And we won't turn left or right. We will not back down. We're not going to stop believing in you, Jesus. Even when the sufferings come, even when the difficulty arises, we are going to stay faithful. And we pray, Holy Spirit, make this true in us. Lord, I ask for a holy baptism of fire upon this congregation, that passion for your glory among the lost and among the saved would consume them. Consume them, Jesus. I pray, Lord, when we come back in two or three years, that, Jesus, this place will be so on fire, that every person in this room will be consumed with you, that we will find that some of those 3,000 people groups have been reached from within this room. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you will raise up laborers for the harvest right here and all over the globe. Jesus, I pray for straight paths in Zimbabwe, and I ask that you will radically ignite every young man and woman that we encounter and that they will run with perseverance the race marked out for them. Lord, I pray that you'll protect every person in this congregation and destroy the works of the enemy over them. I pray that every stronghold of entertainment, every stronghold of comfort, every stronghold of ease would be destroyed this morning and that you would provoke us by the reality of your superior excellence. Jesus, come and fill us with yourself. Phyllis, I pray, Lord, that we are not after just your blessings and we're not after just your power, but that we want to know you. We want your love to consume us and pour out of us. Lord, I pray you break a hole in all the cisterns of our hearts that we become flowing conduits yet again. God, I bless your word and I ask for you to preserve it, to destroy the enemy as he tries to steal it from any and every soul. And Jesus, we praise you in advance for what you're going to do in all of us. Thank you for the love in this congregation, Lord. Thank you for the way they have blessed my family. And Jesus, thank you that saying goodbye is going to be painful. I praise you for that. I praise you, Jesus, that I have to say goodbye because you've called us to go.
And I praise you, Jesus, in faith that we will say hello again. Thank you, Lord. Bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. As a quick aside, I just want to say thank you to all of you for the love you've poured out on our family. You, uh, you have literally been an integral part of keeping us on the mission field. You will continue to be an integral part of keeping us on the mission field. And I just ask, do not pretend to pray for us. We need you. We need you, church. Zimbabwe's in dark days, and that's the best time to shine. So just, just keep praying, okay? March 14th, we head back. And we're heading back excited, determined, and expectant. God bless you all as you stay. Amen. Amen.